Today, we take a look at the year for workers in Wisconsin and across the nation, learn about calls from labor for a ceasefire in Gaza, get an exclusive report from the North Pole, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. For an overview of what transpired for labor in 2023 at the national level, Labor Radio reporter Janine Ramsey talked to Jane Slaughter, a longtime editor and current board member at Labor Notes. Looking at 2023, what can you tell us about the national trends that you witnessed? Well, it was pretty remarkable. Half a million workers struck in 2023, which was double the number that struck in 2022. So big uptick in strikes. Perhaps even more important, most of those strikes won or got something really good for their members. Strike of the actors and writers in Hollywood would be one example of that. And then, of course, the auto workers who won record contracts. Other people have struck as well. There were teachers in Portland and in Los Angeles, hotel workers in Los Angeles doing a rolling strike. So strikes were the big issue of the year. Why do you think there's such a big uptick? In many of the cases of unions going on strike this year, it has to do with their having new leadership who came into office on a program of revitalizing their unions, reforming their unions, making them more democratic and more confrontational with management. That was most obvious in the UAW, where we had new people who only got in this year. That was also true in the teachers union, where the reformers were elected a few years ago. Another case where they did not strike, but they threatened to and came close was in the Teamsters at UPS. That would have been the largest group of workers by far. I think it's 350,000. And again, they had a new leadership that ran on a platform of being more confrontational with employers. The results this year just really showed that having a different leadership with different politics makes a huge difference. Union members had been getting beat up by their employers for so long. They'd taken concessions and wage freezes and bad working conditions and having to give up their pensions. People were quite fed up with that. And so this year, last year, the year before, with the economy in somewhat better shape and a tighter labor market, it gave people more confidence that they could do something to try to win back all those losses. It seems that public perception of unions has also changed for the better. I think that people in general tend to admire people who stand up for themselves. The polls said that 78% of the public supported the UAW when they were on strike against the car companies this fall, and 70% supported the actors when they were out. That's really remarkable. 2023 saw record successes in the formation and expansion of unions across the country at places like Starbucks, Amazon, REI, Trader Joe's, and still not one of these have managed to get a contract. 
Slaughter speaks to the challenges. It just shows how incredibly horrible labor law is stacked against workers. The new NLRB, mostly appointed by Joe Biden, has made some attempts to change things by making rulings that make it easier to form a union, but there's still so many obstacles. Looking forward to 2024, what are we looking at? One of the biggest things that's going to be happening is the UAW's organizing drive at all the many non-union auto plants. Toyota, Hyundai, Mercedes, Volkswagen, Tesla. The union has set out to try to organize all those at once, which is incredibly ambitious. There's also some important contracts coming up, the state hands union, the postal workers, Chicago teachers, AT&T, Boeing. There could be more class struggle in 2024. That was Jane Slaughter. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Madison Labor Radio. Kevin Gunlack, president of the South Central Federation of Labor, speaks with Frank Emspach about the state of the labor movement in our area in 2023 and prospects for the future. The Wisconsin labor movement has taken a beating since Act 10, with union density falling from over 15% to just over 8%. Dane County and the area covered by the South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFFLE, is no exception. Aside from limitations on unions by Act 10, the legislature imposed right-to-work law, repealed project labor agreements, the Labor Peace Act, and prevailing wage agreements. It's within this context that Kevin Gunlock President of the South Central Federation of Labor, speaks to the position of the labor movement in 2023. Kevin, what is your assessment of last year as far as uh, Scuffle is concerned? This has really been an exciting year, I think, for all of labor throughout the country. You've seen strikes all over the country. but And with COVID, that's where I think sides the attacks on labor were here in Wisconsin. Workers fought back. Unions fought back. Organized labor fought back. And that's when workers also decided, you know, enough is enough. You see these record profits going on with these billionaires getting richer, CEOs giving them, themselves huge salaries, and then saying there's nothing left for the workers. So what happened? While COVID's going on and workers are still putting in, you know, their dues and working hard for our communities, they started organizing. The same year, record amounts of organizing efforts all over the, the state of Wisconsin, but especially here in the Madison and Dane County area. We've got, we have new affiliates that have joined. We've seen local union growth. We've, uh, we've got a lot going on in our area. That's something to be proud about. And some of the, some of the successes when it comes to organizing, you can look at Noble Night Games, where they pressured the employer with Scuffle's assistance and, and community support and labor support, where they were able to get voluntary recognition, which is almost unheard of. And they had their contract within a year of that. So that's a huge success. Sourdough Bakeries organized, Colectivo, Starbucks is still fighting, Raven Software, For Our Future, UW Hospital, Crush on Apparel, the list goes on and on, and we keep getting leads. Overall, 2023 marked a year of transition from defense to offense. Yeah, and it didn't just start, right, it, one day. You know, you, we hear in the, the news about the, you know, the big three automakers and the Hollywood studios and UPS. That impacts us as well, right? As, as, as we've had strikes and fightbacks and organizing campaigns going on, there's also these national ones that touch us, whether it be Starbucks or some of the others. And, and I think it's an exciting time for labor here in Wisconsin, here for Scuffle, but also for the country. Looking forward to 2024, Gunlock was optimistic. Talked about a lot of the organizing campaigns 
But even when after they vote yes, which we've had so many yes votes, they still have to get their first contract. And, and we know that there's still a number of them out there that went public that don't have their first contract. So that's one thing. We're going to be helping these workers in need with community support, with your listener support, to make sure that we support them through the process to get their first contract. We know that there's going to be some upcoming battles. We've got some elections, obviously, coming up that labor is going to be invested in. But also there's some cases, court cases that we're watching very carefully. And there were workers, workers, union members who filed a, uh, a case against Act 10. And then we've also got the gerrymandering cases. So we see, you know, whether there be legislative bills that are coming up, whether there be Supreme Court races coming up, whether there be elections, we'll be involved in those. But more just as importantly or more so. We are going to continue our investment in organize, assisting with organizing efforts and fight back campaigns. And of course, this all comes down to making sure that our education committee is, is back and thriving. To sum up, 2023 was a year of transition, but Gunlock expects 2024 to be a year of growth based on new organizing, community mobilization, and the expansion of Scuffle's activities directly serving the education needs of working people. Thanks to Kevin Gunlock for this interview. I'm Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Labor leaders, labor leaders and elected officials rallied in Washington to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. Greg Jaboski has more. Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! The Associated Press reported today that the Israeli assault on the Gaza Strip has now killed over 20,000 people, just under 1% of the entire population of Gaza, with 70% of the dead being women and children and that this figure is almost certainly an undercount, per AP. The assault has also left at least 50,000 wounded, with millions homeless and displaced and effectively cut off from food, water, electricity, and health care, with the U.S.-backed Israeli onslaught continuing, seemingly unabated, despite worldwide condemnation. Voices in the U.S. labor movement have joined those condemning the assault on Gaza and are calling for a ceasefire. International unions who have demanded a ceasefire include the United Electrical Workers, the UEE, the American Postal Workers Union, the APWU, and the United Auto Workers Union, the UAW. The latest international union to join is the 3 million member National Education Association, the NEA, representing teachers' unions across the country. A week ago yesterday, on Thursday, December 14th, in Washington, D.C., labor leaders were joined by some elected officials in calling for a ceasefire in Gaza under the banner, Unions for a Ceasefire Now. At a press conference, U.S. Representative Cory Bush of Missouri provided this background. The union members and leaders here today are part of a growing coalition of national and local unions who are standing up and calling for an immediate and a lasting ceasefire because they know that their advocacy for the rights of workers and all people are without limitations, are without boundaries and without borders. They are here as workers who have come from all across the country to share their stories and experiences and in order to help persuade lawmakers here to collectively act to stop the killing, 
stop the starvation and displacement of Palestinians. The growing list of international unions who are bucking the U.S. foreign policy establishment in the Biden administration was preceded by local unions and rank-and-file anti-war labor coalitions. Longtime organizer Gene Bruskin spoke for the National Labor Network for a ceasefire. I'm here speaking on behalf of a network of over 130 unions from across the country representing well over a million workers that are demanding a ceasefire now. I'm also here speaking as a lifelong Jewish trade unionist and a proud tradition of U.S. Jews in labor. Bruskin had this announcement. This week, the three million member National Education Association, Jill Biden's union, came out for a ceasefire. Bruskin put Israel's continued assault on Gaza squarely on the back of the U.S. Only the United States can stop this madness. We provided Israel with tens of billions of dollars of the most advanced military weapon in the world for decades. Labor is deeply concerned that the president is undermining his own reelection in this unpopular war. Stop the bombing, start the healing. Chelsea Bland represented the Coalition of Labor Union Women. Nearly 12,000 women and children have been killed in Gaza. Two mothers are killed every hour. Seven women are killed every two hours. This staggering loss of life will only continue to climb with Israel's bombardment of Gaza. As our union colleagues have stated and millions of working people across the globe have called for, there must be a ceasefire now. The Coalition of Labor Union Women proudly continues our long-standing tradition of opposing war, excessive military spending, and militarized U.S. foreign policy. UAW President Sean Fain, fresh off his union's historic contract agreements with the big three automakers, said that the call for a ceasefire joined U.S. labor with the rest of the world and addressed his unions and organized labor's continued role in fighting for justice at home and abroad. We take pride in our history of standing up for justice at home and around the, around the world, around the globe. You know, throughout our history, we're a union that's always spoken up for civil rights and human rights time and time again. That said, I want to be clear. What we're calling for today, a ceasefire, it's what the global community is currently standing together for. That's right, yeah. right. At the United Nations, it's what the majority of nations called for. And right here in America, it's what the majority of American citizens want. Yes. You know, the world's seen enough slaughter and devastation. Peace is the only path forward. That was UAW President Sean Fain speaking December 14th at a press conference in Washington under the banner Unions for Ceasefire Now. Audio of the December 14th press conference was made available publicly via Facebook Live through Unions for Ceasefire Now. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. North Pole elves working for Santa win big with their escalating strike. Madison Labor Radio brings you this exclusive story. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, shouted elves, reindeer, and candy stripers local 1224 president Cindy Lou Who 
to whoops and cheers as the North Pole workers celebrated their new contract, ending a two-month strike. The Seasonal Advancement Noel Training Allowance, a new education fund so members can get on-the-job training for higher-paying positions, is one of several breakthrough wins in the deal, ratified in a 94% vote. Labor Radio spoke with Vixen, a 25-year reindeer who gave this assessment of the contract. You bet I voted yes. I've put in enough years on the road. I'm planning to retrain as a toy train mechanic. Who and the rest of the true North Slate, long-time reformers in the Elves, won leadership this year in the union's first one-member, one-vote election. Setting the tone for a different kind of contract campaign, the new leaders opted not to open bargaining in the traditional way by sitting on Santa's lap and presenting him their wish list. We wrote up a list of what we wanted, and when I presented it, Santa told me to sit on his lap and whisper it in his ear. Ooh! Said who? Instead, they led a boisterous march through the North Pole Village, ending in front of Santa Claus Mansion. They stood under Santa's window and sang, You'd better watch out, you'd better Better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, Union elves are coming to town. Until polar police ordered them to disperse. When negotiations broke down, Christmas workers launched a cascading strike that first idled Lollipop Lane, then Gingerbread House, then the whole tree trimming complex. Meanwhile, workers in the non-struck facilities turned up the cold by working to rule. For instance, quality control tested each individual nutcracker with every kind of nut, slowing output to a trickle. When the strike threatened to halt production at the crucial sleigh engine plant, Santa cried uncle. The strikers won a heater in every delivery sleigh and eliminated reindeer two-tier. The Red Nose Premium will increase 75 cents. All production workers will get an additional cocoa break and mandatory overtime will be limited to the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Vixen added, And he has to improve working conditions. For example, the sleigh is designed for a 230-pound man. I'm just under three feet tall, and you know what that means? When I'm out doing deliveries, I have to ride in the back of the sleigh strapped into a back-facing car carrier. Not only is that humiliating, it makes me car sick. The elves also brought climate demands to the negotiating table for the first time and won a partial victory. The roasting of chestnuts on an open fire will be phased out by 2026. However, Santa refused to entertain their more costly demands to convert the factory complex to renewable heat and power insisting these are not mandatory subjects of bargaining. Labor Radio also spoke to bargaining team member Tiny Tim Cratchit. The union is building momentum to fight harder for the climate demands next year. These issues aren't going away, but these ice caps are. Cratchit was holding his newborn son, Tinier Tim, and added, I want to make sure there's still Christmas jobs for my kids someday. Polar Bears Local 1774 lined up its contract with the elves and struck alongside them. The Bears finally won a long-standing demand. Maternity hibernation leave will increase to four months. Chief Steward Rufus Bear commented, I gotta give a lot of credit to Labor Notes. Cindy and I first met at the conference about 20 years ago, and we've been organizing together ever since. Secrets of a successful organizer was a big help. And I don't know if we could have pulled it off, 
without the support of everyone on the holiday sector workers network zoom call fresh off their winning strike the elves have set their sights on unionizing the whole holiday sector the easter bunny handed out an extra chocolate bonus meant to stifle the pledgling union drive. And employees of Truth Fairy went public with their campaigns this week. Their max pay has been stuck at 25 cents a tooth for decades. Support Local 1224 and all workers fighting to transform their unions for the better. Thanks to Labor Notes for this story, and thanks to Dolores Emsmack and Anna Hahn. I'm Frank Emsmack with this exclusive report for Madison Labor Radio. Employees who have wages stolen by their employer have a remedy at the federal level. Kara Weidel has the story. The Department of Labor protects the nation's workforce with a focus on low-wage underserved workers. The department's wage and hour division successfully recovered over $274 million in back wages and damages in fiscal year 2023. These recovered wages benefited more than 163,000 workers nationwide. There are very likely more workers whose wages were stolen. Industries like healthcare, construction, agriculture, retail, food service, and building services are among the employers that violate the law. For example, workers at a painting and roofing company in Arizona and Nevada spoke out against unjust conditions like low pay, lack of overtime, and intimidation. Despite attempts to silence them, courageous workers spoke out. As a result, hundreds of workers get $3.6 million in back pay. The FMLA, or Family and Medical Leave Act, protects workers who need time away from work for medical reasons. The FMLA entitles eligible employees of covered employers to take unpaid job-protected leave for specified family and medical reasons with continuation of group health insurance coverage under the same terms and conditions as if the employees had not taken leave. When Jaron lost his job during his protected family medical leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act, the department investigators found violations and secured over $12,000 in back wages and $5,000 in medical expenses and reinstated Jaron's job. If workers believe they are owed wages, they can call the Wisconsin office at 1-866-4-US-WAGE. That's 1-866-487-9243. Workers who are owed wages can also visit the website dol.gov slash w-o-w. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. The first ever Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans holiday party will be held on Friday, December 29th from 3 until 5.30 p.m. at the Madison Labor Temple. Keith Steffen has more information about the Alliance for Retired Americans. 
The Alliance for Retired Americans was started in 2001 by a group of unions, including the National AFL-CIO. There are more than 4.4 million members. The mission of the Alliance for Retired Americans is to ensure social and economic justice and full civil rights for all citizens so that they may enjoy lives of dignity, personal and family fulfillment, and security. The dues of retired union members are paid by each national union. Membership dues for non-union members are only $10 and can be paid through the website at retiredamericans.org. There's a chapter in Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Alliance of Retired Americans has three goals. First, create and strengthen a political community of retired people to stay connected, informed, and effective in the state and federal decision-making process. Second, work together to protect Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid so that all senior citizens have a secure future after their retirement. Third, work with unions, community groups, and individuals to mobilize progressive people around elections and policy struggles that impact social and economic justice in the United States. The Wisconsin website is at wisconsin.retiredamericans.org. It also has a Facebook page. The Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans holiday party is from 3 until 5.30 on Friday, December 29th at the Madison Labor Temple, 1602 South Park Street. Join for beer, wine, and snacks. I'm Keith Steffen reporting for Labor Radio. Rite Aid's flawed facial recognition system is causing its employees to harass and embarrass shoppers. The Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, says Rite Aid will be prohibited from using facial recognition technology for surveillance purposes for five years. This settles FTC charges that the retailer failed to implement reasonable procedures and prevent harm to consumers in its use of facial recognition technology in hundreds of stores. Samuel Levine, director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection, said, Rite Aid's reckless use of facial surveillance systems left many consumers facing humiliation and other harms, and its order violations put consumers' sensitive information at risk. Today's groundbreaking order makes clear that the Commission will be vigilant in protecting the public from unfair biometric surveillance and unfair data security practices, end quote. The proposed order will require Rite Aid to implement comprehensive safeguards to prevent these types of harm to consumers when deploying automated systems that use biometric information to track them or flag them as security risks. It will also require Rite Aid to discontinue using any such technology if it cannot control potential risks to consumers. To settle charges, it violated a 2010 Commission data security report by failing to adequately oversee its service providers. Rite Aid will also be required to implement a robust information security system, which must be overseen by the company's top executives. In a complaint filed in federal court, the FTC said that from 2012 to 2020, Rite Aid deployed artificial intelligence-based facial recognition technology in order to identify consumers who may have been engaged in shoplifting or other problematic behavior. The complaint, however, charges that the company failed to take reasonable measures to prevent harm to consumers who, as a result, were erroneously accused by employees of wrongdoing because facial recognition technology falsely flagged the consumers as matching someone who had previously been identified as a shoplifter or other troublemaker.
Preventing the misuse of biometric information is a high priority for the FTC, which issued a warning earlier this year that the agency will be closely monitoring this sector. Rite Aid's actions subjected consumers to embarrassment, harassment, and other harm. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Gil Halstead. Thanks to editor Frank Emspach, assistant Robin G, reporters Greg Jaboski, Anna Ham, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, outreach specialist Alice Herman, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and listeners and the members of the IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Gigi Todd, and we also would like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with David Watts and the Professor Bill Clark. <laughs>